This is the I Love Success Podcast. I'm Peter Jurukowski, and I have made a vow to myself to help as many people as possible to achieve their dreams. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success Podcast. If this is the first time you're here with me, I want to say thank you for being here. I have a big mission, and that is to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. But right now, you are the most important person to me. So if you're here, if you want to grow in 2023, I think this is going to be a perfect episode for that. I would suggest that you have a notebook in front of you and that you start thinking about these things we're going to talk about today. Maybe even pause the show and write things down and then come back to it. And I would also suggest listening or watching this show a couple of times because you're going to get so many great nuggets today. And I have an old friend uh, back. We did the podcast in the beginning of the pandemic 2020 in June. We had such a great time and uh, I really wanted to bring him back at a certain moment where we could you know, share, especially I think for me, being in a new year, it's that idea of growth and we're excited about life and we want to create that plan so it sticks with us, not only for three weeks, but hopefully for the year and years to come. So I have a very special guest here today. His name is Dr. Joe Vitale. He's written 80 plus books. He was on The Secret. He's a singer and and he's just a positive guy and he's done so much in his life so i'm grateful to having him here and grateful that he has taken the time to be with us here at the i love success podcast so without further ado welcome dr joe vitale to the i love success podcast oh and i love being here happy new year let's rock and roll and make a difference here let's do it and for before we start, I just want to also suggest go back to episode 190 of the I Love Success podcast because because there are some really great nuggets there as well. Uh, but let's just start uh, before we kind of go into the nuggets. What has happened in your life? I know when we were talking the last time, you were going through a lot of difficult things in your life. This was June of 2020. Like, what has happened in your life since then? Well, there was a very agonizing time. I went through a divorce. I went through the loss of my parents. I went through the loss of my best friend. I had a family member attempt suicide. And I developed a new relationship with a person who got a disease that put her on her deathbed. And I was caring for her while grieving, while agonizing while processing divorce theater and also trying to survive the confusion of a pandemic which wiped out my travels and wiped out my biggest income which came from being on stages around the world so it was a very challenging very difficult time and through that i still came out with new books i did new videos virtually every day I did conversations and interviews like the one you and I did back in the, that time a few years ago. And so I've I've arisen from those ashes, so to speak. 
I am stronger. I'm more inspired. I am older, maybe a little wiser, and I am still producing. I have a new online program I'm proud of. I have a new book coming out in a month that I'm very excited about. And I have plans to shake up the world a little bit like you, going for millions of people and wanting to make a difference, trying to shake them, awaken them, inspire them, set their butt on fire so they go out there and do what they secretly want to do anyway, but they need a pep talk. So I've, I've been through a lot. Yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that. And we're sending love. I, I'm wearing this shirt today because I, think, <laughs> I see I think, that. I think love is, is something important. And let's talk about this because I know um, a lot of people, I think action is what stops a lot of people because when you're in confusion, there's no action. And there's been a lot of confusion lately in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and how do you manage like during these difficult times to still get that little piece of energy to kind of move things along? It's a great question. During the divorce and pandemic and all those things that were really hitting me pretty hard, I turned to Stoicism. And the ancient Stoics, you know, Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus and even Epicurus in the hedonistic kind of way, they all had some great one-liners and great insights on how to survive what seems like the most impossible odds. And when you look at Stoicism, they lived 200 centuries ago. This is very difficult to even imagine, 2,000 years ago. And what they went through was appalling compared to what we go through. And they came up with ways to kind of fortify ourselves by looking at our mindset. I remember Marcus Aurelius had said, or he wrote, and he actually wrote it in his meditations, and it was only for himself, but it's lasted centuries. He said, if you can endure it, then endure it and stop complaining. And I remember I would go for walks in the evening and I'd have a cigar and I'm looking at the sky and sometimes even crying as I'm walking in the dark. And I would think to myself, can I endure this, this divorce, this confusion, this grief, this unknowingness? And I would think, yeah, I can endure it. I don't want to endure it, but I can endure it. Well, if I can endure it, then buck up and get through the day. And there were insights like that. And I remember Seneca had written at one point something that was profound to me. And he said, you have the power to make things seem hard or easy or even amusing. And I remember looking at that line and thinking he, he strategically chose the word seem because he didn't say things were hard or easy or amusing. He said, you can choose to see them that way. And when I would look at my situation, I would think, well, the default seems to be it's hard. You just look at it. It's like, we're going through a pandemic. We don't know what's on the other side, if we're even going to survive it. So that seems hard. But Seneca said, you have the ability to make it seem easy. And I thought, wow, that's a mindset shift. And then the big one is when he said, you also have the ability to make it look amusing amusing. How can I look at death as amusing or divorce as amusing or pandemic as amusing? And I remember I, I was watching some of Jerry Seinfeld's shows, and he had said a couple times that he only lives for humor. He only lives for the joke. He says, if you're not going for a joke, why are you even talking? He doesn't care about anything but humor. 
And he was talking to another comedian and they were confiding in each other. And they said, you know, when there's a disaster in the world, he says, we have the jokes that night. We already have the jokes, but we don't start saying them because it's too soon for the public. The public hasn't recovered from the disaster, but the comedian has already found the humor in it. Yeah. And so I looked at Seneca and I thought, it's it's those one-liners and words of wisdom that help get me through the day. And that was the other thing. I would say to myself, one day at a time, it's all fine. And that became my mantra. One day at a time, it's all fine. And it's still that case. One day at a time, it's all fine. And I would look at the day and go, okay, what is there for me to create today? What is there for me to do today? What is there for me to accomplish today? And so I would pull the light out of the darkness by looking within myself, focusing on what I can do, focusing on mindset, and then taking some sort of action in the direction I want to go. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And and to get a little bit more detail, like how, like when you have a really bad day, how how much time do you dedicate to action? Well, we all have bad moments. And I think this is an important insight because I think this is where a lot of the critics and a lot of the skeptics of the law of attraction or the secret or mind power or positive thinking, I think this is where they all stumble because they first watch the movie The Secret or they read a book, maybe one of my books. I've written a lot of books. So maybe they've read my books and they start to think, oh, I've got it all figured out. Life's going to be easy peasy from here on out. You know, it's going to be wonderful. And then the first time there's a bad day, they collapse and they think all this stuff is BS. This stuff doesn't work. And what they're overlooking is the reality of life. And I think that's the piece that's missing in the soul, in the the whole self-help movement. It's the idea that, yes, you create your own reality. Yes, you can control your mindset. Yes, you can visualize and activate and move towards creating whatever it is that you can imagine. And yes, there will be days when it rains. There will be days when something like a COVID hits out of nowhere, or there'll be days where, you know, it doesn't go the way you expect it to go. And what we have to remind ourselves is this is part of the human experience. How you respond to it is going to either collapse you or or fortify you and encourage you to go forward. So even then, we always have a choice. And I think it's that reminder that keeps us going. It's the reminder, whether it's from your show and people tune in at the right time and they get nuggets like this, and now they have something to hold on to, or maybe it's something they read or something they heard, but it's that that keeps us getting up and moving forward. Because I think it's too easy to dismiss everything when we have a bad day, thinking that there's no hope. And that's the wrong direction. That's going into despair instead of going into creation and in the visionary movement of forward action. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, before we go into the details, I just want to acknowledge if you're listening and watching this, there might you might be in a situation just like Dr. Joe. He was very successful, but still was hit with all these challenges. Uh, and or you might be in a situation where you're trying to reinvent yourself and don't have anything you ever wanted. And let's just share a little bit about your time as homeless and how you like what was going through your mind when you were going to the library reading about, you know, growing and all of that, because I think there are people listening here now that 
that don't have much hope. And then there's people that are in a level that want to go to the next level and everything in between. I don't care where you're at. You have hope. I don't care who you are, what you're going through, where you're living. You have hope. We all have that as the potential within us. I have my own online television show right now. It's called Zero Limits Living. And I get to interview some cool people. And I interviewed Viktor Frankl's grandson. Viktor Frankl was in the concentration camp. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And and I really got to learn directly from the grandson, which is the closest I would ever get to Viktor Frankl, that we always have hope. The hope is within us. It's in our attitude. It's in how we choose to look at anything. And that's why when I came across Seneca's quote about you have the power to make things seem hard or easy or amusing, those were reminders that I have choice about how I look at my life. So I don't care if somebody is homeless, but they're managing to listen or watch this somehow or where they're at, you always have hope. So when I was homeless, I was living in the Dallas Public Library for the most part back in the late 70s. On one level, it was really cool because I'm a book guy. <laughs> and I was in the, I was stuck in the library. So, you know, what's wrong with that? And it had air conditioning and it had a bathroom and it had water. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so in many ways, being in the public library was ideal. But also, I didn't have a home. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't have money. I didn't have a hamburger. I didn't have a relationship. So on the other hand, it was extremely agonizing. It was pitiful. And it was shaming me. My self-esteem was collapsing. I was doing my best to work on me. I was in the area where all the self-help, self-improvement, pop psychology, philosophy, metaphysics were all stacked. And I'd sit on the floor and I'd read those books. And I remember reading Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill came out in the 1930s. It's probably helped more people become millionaires than any one single book. I read Think and Grow Rich in the public library. I was homeless before I read it. I was homeless after I read it. And I almost threw the book into the street. Because I was so disillusioned thinking, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with this book? What's missing in me? What's missing in this book? What am I doing wrong? And that was the most aggravating thing. And you got to remember, there's no internet back then. The only coaching was Little League coaching and football coaching. We didn't have self-improvement coaching or if it existed, I didn't know of it and I didn't have the money for it. So my experience in self-growth was very solitary. It was very alone. It was a solo attempt to try to awaken. And because of those struggles, I really stumbled in to the core idea that your beliefs are creating your reality. And my beliefs were creating my homelessness, even back then. And my beliefs about what was possible was creating me being in poverty. And when I would read Think and Grow Rich, I would have the belief that, well, this works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for Joe Vitale. Because of that belief, I would make sure it didn't work. Now, I didn't know that at the time. All of us are living out of our beliefs. Most of us don't know what our beliefs are at all. They're unconscious or at least in the subconscious. And until we dig a little bit, find them and question them, they operate us. And a lot of people even right now, they may be struggling like I was struggling. I had to have the awakening to what are the beliefs 
when I find the beliefs and back then found the beliefs has changed them, I started to change my outer life as a result. So it was a lot of inner work and a lot of agonizing and a lot of time because I didn't have shows like this to shorten the distance. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's dig into it. What would you say is the first step for somebody that wants to make a plan for the year or the next five or 10 years mm -hmm. and just like going towards they're into this, they want to create that beautiful life and they really don't know where to start. Like what, how, how do we, how would, how do we get them to get uh, to start? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, I wrote a book called the attractor factor way back in the last century. And it was that book that got me invited into the movie, the secret in the attractor factor. I described the five-step formula that worked then and still works today. And that's where we would start. The very first step in the five steps in the attractor factor is to know what you don't want. And I begin there because if I begin with, oh, just declare what you want, a lot of people shrug and go, I don't know what I want. All right, let's skip that for the moment. And we back up and we go to the first step, which is what are you tired of? What don't you want? I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be out of shape. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to struggle. I don't want to be unhappy. I don't want to be sick. All of those are what you would write down as the first step. The second step would be to turn those statements of complaints into statements of intention. And this is a powerful mental shift. So if somebody wrote down, I'm tired of being broke. I don't want to be broke anymore. All right. The opposite of it would be, I want to be financially secure. I want to be prosperous, whatever the words are that are positive and declarative and state and intention, because that's what we're looking for. Everything begins with an intention, but because so many people struggle with an intention, I say, all right, well, let's just start with the things you don't want. I don't want to be unhealthy is what somebody might say. All right. What do you want instead? I want to be healthy. I want to be fit. I want to be strong. I want to be whatever, radiant. Whatever those words are that somebody would say, that's their intention. That's where you would start for the new year or any new day or any new enterprise. Same thing if somebody is alone and they're ready to meet their soulmate or at least start dating. They want to go on a date and have a relationship. So they were complaining. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of eating alone. Great. That's the first step. Those are the those are the complaints. What do you do? You turn them around and state them as what you would prefer instead. I would prefer to be dating and having fun. I would prefer to, to attract my soulmate. I would prefer to be going to movies and having a great time. So those are really the first two steps. The first is what don't you want? That's easy for most people because they're complainers. And we want to go ahead and say, let's acknowledge the complaints, write them down. Second yes. step, turn the complaints into their opposites, turn them into stated intentions. Now we know where we want to go. That's where I would be starting. That's awesome. And once, once you have those statements prepared and like how specific do you need to be after that in what you really want? I think you need to be very specific, P specific to the extent, to the extent that it excites you. Yeah. And that's the important thing is what we're looking for is to turn on your fire of desire. I've talked about brain science in some of my books and 
the brain basically responds to three key emotions, and that's love, hate, and fear. And most of us are focused on hate or we're focused on fear. What we want to focus on is what do we love? I mean, you're wearing a love shirt. You got your heart there and everything. And I think that's wonderful. That's the message to get out there. What we want to do is fall in love with our intention. In order to fall in love with our intention, it needs to be clear enough to activate our desire for it. It needs to be something that is almost holographically already alive. So, for example, I'm a car guy, and if I said I wanted to get a particular car next year, I wouldn't just say a car. I wouldn't just even say a particular model. I'd go right down into what is the make, what is the model, what is the year, what is the color, uh, what are the accessories that are in the car. I would almost go to, and I probably would go to, a website where I can configure the car so I can see it and almost get into it and almost drive off with it by sitting in front of my computer and imagining all of that. I think that's where we need to go with our intentions. To the best of our ability, depending on the intention, describe it specifically to draw out the emotions for it. Because the more we can feel it, the more we can make it real. And I'm curious and and I like that you you need to feel it, you need to see it. And uh, mm -hmm. one thing that I have been struggling with, I'm big into goals. I've written book, books about goals and I love digging deep into this. It's worked tremendously for me in my life. Uh, mm -hmm. But one thing that I've been struggling with a little bit, and I'm curious to, to get your take on this, is sometimes when I make a decision on doing something, especially in business or saving money or a specific amount. It's almost like I get stuck on that number and it hinders me from progress sometimes. Yes, that's a great insight. And you give me the opportunity to specify something. In my book, The Attractor Factor, I told people when you state your intention, you add a little disclaimer at the, at the bottom of it. The disclaimer is this phrase. This or something better. Mm. This or something better. So if I was wanting to attract a particular new car in the new year, I would go ahead and do everything I just said yeah. about make models, specif being specific, having the color, everything. But I'd also say this or something better. And the reason for that is when we state our intentions, they're coming from our known world. They're coming from what we think is possible based on our experience. But the world itself, the universe, if you will, is far bigger than our egoic imagination. So we want to allow the opportunity for more. We want to allow the opportunity for better. When you say something like, I want to have $5,000 of unexpected income by next Friday, I would say this or something better. Because maybe you can have $10,000 and instead of next Friday, maybe it can be Tuesday. What we want to do is open our mind to allow the universe, the divine, the cosmos, source, whatever you want to call this higher power. Napoleon Hill called it infinite intelligence. Yeah. To allow infinite intelligence to give us something better that we may not know about when we state our intentions. 
So this is kind of like the escape clause where you allow the universe to actually give you something better than what you're already asking for. And that also sidesteps the point you were making there about a built-in limitation. Because yeah. if I say, well, I want to have you know a book become such and such bestseller, I might be limiting the possibility that several of my books could be bestsellers all at the same time. Or there's something else beyond just the bestseller category that's even better than what I'm looking for. But I have to add the phrase, this or something better to allow it into my world. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's so important and yeah. uh, it's helping me a lot. Another another personal question that I want to ask, and I think a lot of people sometimes struggle with this. So mm. if you're a person that want to achieve big things and you're putting yourself out there when you're writing down these big goals, which I have done in the past year and I have not hit what I really wanted to do this year, last year, 2022. So I just want to be honest. It was a good year, but it was not what I set out to do. So now I'm looking at, okay, what should I do for 2023? And I want to raise the bar from what I was accomplishing to do in, in 2022. But my mind is saying, oh, you didn't do it last year. How can you do something even harder this year? So can we just talk about that? And I'm curious about your insight because I'm 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 currently working on this. And I know a lot of people are, you know, struggling with this because when you're on the arena, sometimes you you're not gonna do do exactly what you wanted, what you said you were going to do. Yeah, it's an important thing to look at because we tend to forget how much we've accomplished when we compare it to how much we wanted to accomplish. Very often when we state our goals, we're going for something really, really big. And we may or may not hit that really, really big thing. But because we stated the big goal, we went far farther down the road towards it than we would have had we not had any goal or not had the big goal. There's the quote, I don't know who first said it, but if you want to hit the moon, what you want to do is shoot for the stars, shoot for the stars. And if you don't hit them, you still hit the moon. My God, you still have accomplished something fantastic. So I think we need to remind ourselves of our success and acknowledge our success. Even when we go for something and we haven't reached it, because we were going for something, we already excelled beyond what the average person would do. The average person doesn't have any goals at all except to make it through the day and make it to payday. Yeah. That's it for a whole lot of people. Of course, a lot of people don't even have paydays because they're out of work. So a lot of people are just quietly desperate and quietly unhappy. When your listeners or you or myself, we go for something really big and we don't achieve it, we have to remind ourselves and applaud ourselves that we accomplished a lot along the way towards that big goal. That's the first insight. The big second insight for me is I have always understood that if you want to reach a big goal, you set an even bigger goal. So I think in the introduction, you said you wanted to reach 10 million people. And I remember smiling to myself as you said it, because I thought, well, that's cool. And then the next thought for me was, yeah, but we now have 8 billion people on the planet. <laughs> You're leaving out a whole lot of people, Yeah, <laughs> 8 billion people, and you only want to help 10 million. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> and and, and um, I'm only semi-joking here, because here's what I've learned. If you really want to help those 10 million people, then your goal needs to be, I want to reach 50 million people. Mm -hmm. 
Because when you go for the 50 million people, you're going to think bigger. You're going to take bigger actions. Your vision is wider. Your net is bigger because you're going to go for 50 million people. And then at the end of the new year, you'll have to remind yourself, if you didn't hit the 50 million people, but you hit the 10 million people, that's what you originally wanted. So going for even more than what you want. So let me tell you something. This is an exclusive. Nobody knows this. So you're getting an exclusive for everybody. My next book is going to be in February, and it's called Unexpected Kindness. Unexpected Kindness. And this is the book that just descended on me. I mean, I was inspired, and I started writing it. And I wrote it for two reasons. One is to give thanks to the people who helped me. They were kind to me before I was ever in the movie The Secret. Meaning during the time when I was broke, struggling, depressed, unknown, and showing no signs, no evidence that I was going anywhere, there were people who were nice to me, who helped me, who were kind to me. I call it unexpected kindness. So I'm writing about this in the book. That's the first reason I wanted to give thanks. The second is I want to trigger people acting in this way. I want people to start giving unexpected kindness to others. And that could be really small. That could be really big. But I want an unexpected kindness movement. Now, follow my thinking here. First of all, I'm just sitting down at my desk one day and Bob Proctor had died. And Bob Proctor was in The Secret. He deeply influenced a lot of people. He's the grandfather of the law of attraction. And he believed in me before I was in the movie The Secret. He met me. He saw something in me. He encouraged me. He was one of the lights who was encouraging me as a living guardian angel. So when he died, I thought, well, I want to write about how he helped me. And I just started. Then the next day, I remembered another story about somebody else, and I just kept writing. Before I knew it, I had 50-some stories, and then I thought, well, this looks like it's a book. So (laughs) now I put a title on it, Unexpected Kindness. Then I think, well, let me go ahead and get this ready for publication. And in February, on February 17th, there's a day called Random Acts of Kindness. I thought, let me come out with that. Now, this is where the story gets even better. I thought, well, what do I want for this? We're going into the new year. I, like everybody else, are looking at what do I want to create? What are my intentions? Well, I want Unexpected Kindness to be a bestseller. Okay, what would be better than that? Well, I want it to be a New York Times bestseller. All right, what would be better than that? I would like Unexpected Kindness to be a bestseller, and I would like two of my other books that are already out there to be swept up in the momentum, and I have three books on the New York Times bestseller list all at the same time. Oh, let's not stop. I was telling this to a friend of mine, And she said, well, you know, Taylor Swift has 10 songs in the top hit charts right now. She owns the top 10. Every one of the top 10 songs are Taylor Swift songs. She said, what if you had all 10 slots on the New York Times bestseller list? And I thought, holy shit, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) And now now I'm thinking to myself, and again, I've not shared this with anybody. This is kind of like showing the inside of my brain and how I'm working. My my new goal, my new intention for this new year is the book comes out February 17th. I have enough books. I've written 80 some books. So it is within the realm of possibility that 10 of my books can be swept up to the New York Times bestseller list, all because of one book called Unexpected Kindness that grabs everybody's attention. So That whole thing there that I just shared with you, that whole ball of energy and thunder and lightning and everything, that's the new goal. All right. So let's project at the end of the new year, 
We're going into a new year. At the end of the new year, what if it doesn't come true? It's okay. I will have succeeded in some way. I would have gotten partway down the road. Maybe I get a book on the New York Times bestseller list. Maybe I don't get any books. But maybe it does happen. And all 10 are mine, which would make publishing history. It would make freaking publishing history if 10 Joe Vitale books are all occupying the New York Times bestseller list. But if it doesn't happen, look at the energy in me right now. Look at the momentum that's being kicked into the new year. And then think this book is designed to help people. Unexpected kindness is designed to get people acting unexpectedly kind to other people. This could create an impact that I will never see in its entirety. But if I didn't set any of these goals, none of this would happen. There'd be no energy. There'd be no impact. There'd be no unexpected kindness. There'd be no potential for greatness, no potential for a legacy. So I think setting these big goals are what we need to do. And we also need to be kind to ourselves if we hit them and if we don't. Well, I can't wait to read that book. <laughs> and it was kind of exciting uh, when you took us through that, you know, a uh, goal and yes. manifested it. And I think it's yeah. so brave because I got to be honest, I've achieved a lot of goals in my life that I have written down, that I've set. And people who have listened to this show, they know that. And I'm always putting myself out there as much as I can. But I'm also sometimes in life, like now, I have the evidence of this year. I did good, but not exactly what I wanted. And that have created a little bit of fear in me. And I, and I want to be honest and say that to everybody, because even people that shoot for the moon have sometimes fear. So now when I'm hearing you, I'm, I'm inspired, but it also creates fear because what if it doesn't happen? And I know people that are listening to this, they have that in their mind too. So can we just go appeal yeah, another layer on that onion? Oh, I, I so love it, Peter. You're so good at this because you're thinking of what people might be feeling and you're doing your best to help them. So I admire that in you and I acknowledge that. The thing is, and this is pretty blunt, nobody really cares. Nobody cares. This is one of the, the hard lessons I got going through a divorce and a pandemic. You know, if you go on Facebook, you'll see that, you know, I got a half a million friends and I got all these followers. But when push comes to shove and you're standing alone in the dark and you're wounded and you're crying, there aren't any of those friends. They're not there. They're not there. And why? Because they're wrapped up in their own lives. They got their own challenges, their own darkness, their own tears, their own goals. So it's not a bad thing. It's just an awakening. So when you and I state our goals and we don't hit them, there's no punishment. There's no guilt. There's no buddy coming up saying, hey, you tried to do such and such and you didn't do it. So you're a failure. Nobody says that ever. Except and, from sometimes yourself, right? <laughs> and, and that was that's actually my next point. The only person that criticizes you is you. Yeah, that's it. Now, we need to look at this for a second. I'm a big fan of Napoleon Hill, and you may or may not know that there was a book that was never published in his lifetime because it was considered to be too controversial. Yeah. Well, he's been dead since 1970, so it's come out in recent years, and the book is called Outwitting the Devil. Yeah, Outwitting the Devil is a powerful book. When I was reading that book, my hands started to sweat. 
And part of it is I started reading it thinking he was talking about the devil in religious terms, but he wasn't. He was pointing out that the devil is your own mind. The devil is your own mind. And when you read his book with the understanding that he's telling you how to outwit your own mind, now you can be empowered. Because when that voice comes up and starts to beat you up, you can go, oh, I know who you are. Yeah, You're not welcome here. You know, go chatter somewhere else. I'm not going to listen to you. And this is this is really important because if people are going through the old, their own self-punishment because of their own self-talk, here's the moment of awakening. What I did many years ago, because believe me, my self-talk was torturing me back when I was homeless and in poverty and my self-esteem was flatlined. I was being... I was being horrified by myself. I was being tortured by myself. And I had to learn, first of all, I'm not that voice. That voice is a composite of other voices I heard growing up that was very judgmental. So the very first insight that helps you break free, you're out of jail when you realize that's not you. You can listen to it if you want, but you're separate from it. That's, That's huge. The second big insight is you can create an opposite voice you can create a cheerleader in your mind. You're part of your mind. You're a subpersonality, if you will, but you create it that says, you can do this. You got this. Set your goals. Take your action. Go for your dreams. Do all that you need to do. You're a good person. You have potential. You're doing your best. And if you don't make it all the way, you know, some football games you lose. You still go back and play another game. It doesn't mean you're bad. I just interviewed Russell Brunson for my TV show, the Zero Limits Living TV show. And I remember him saying he likes to work with athletes. And I said, why do you want to work with athletes? He says, because they're used to losing and they're okay with it. They don't put life and death on it. A lot of people and me in the past and maybe you in the past and some of your listeners or viewers if things didn't work out, they feel, they, they feel it's a reflection on them yeah. that if they lost at something they tried, then they're a loser. But that's not the case. As Russell Brunson found out with the people in athletics, and, and he's a wrestler, so he's got background in athletics, you may lose a match, but it doesn't mean you're a loser. So having these insights about You're not the voice of negativity. You don't have to listen to the voice of negativity. You can actually create a cheerleading positive voice that urges you on. All of these help get you through what could be darkness. And instead, you can have light. Well, this is turning into one of the most beautiful conversations I've ever had. So thank you for for doing this, uh, Joe. It's, It's incredible and remarkable. So... Now we tackle a couple of great things. We know what we don't want. We know what we want. Like what happens after that? Like, how do you make that plan? Is it a day-to-day thing or is it broader? Or like what, how, how does, how does it work? Yeah. I, I love that question because it's the thing that stops a lot of people. If they got this far and they finally decided that they're going to have a positive voice, they're going to take positive action. They know what their intention is for the new year the next step usually stops them. And that's when they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. They're looking for a plan. And I'm the tough love guy. I'm the guy that gets in people's face and says, look, there isn't a plan. There isn't a plan. I've been quoting Teddy Roosevelt for quite some time because Teddy said, 
do what you can with what you have right where you are. That's it. Do what you can with what you have right where you are. Too many people are waiting for everything to fall into place. It never falls into place. You have to start walking now. You have to start talking now. You have to start taking action now. Those action steps can be baby steps. But if you just inch along every day, you can walk across the United States. You can walk across any country if you just get up and move forward. So you have to take action. I've often said that, look, I intended to be an author when I was a kid. I decided I wanted to be a writer. I loved books so much, and there were so many different things I could be, but being a writer seemed like the logical thing, an intuitive thing. And I started typing because if I only said it or and intended it and visualized it and kind of sat and meditated on it, but I never went to the typewriter back then, you would not know me as an author because I didn't write anything. But because I did go to the typewriter in the early days and then the computer in the later days and today, I have created. But I've created by taking the action that was in front of me. My first book was 1984. Came and went. It was a dud. It did nothing. But it was a turning point because it, it taught me that I had to learn marketing because almost all books come and go. And my book was no different. But I kept writing. It was 10 years later before my next book would come out. When people ask me, what's the secret to success? And I would reflect and it's like, you know what it is? It's persistent, consistent, daily action in the direction of your dreams. That's the secret. And what you do is you do whatever is the next step for you. And it's unique to you. In your moment, you just look at, okay, what can I do? What can I do right now with what I have? Not waiting for money, not waiting for something to come through, not waiting for a phone call or a relationship or an introduction to somebody. But what can you do with what you have right where you are? That's where you begin. And the last thing I'd say about this is Steve Jobs had said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. Yeah. But you can connect the dots looking backwards. So if you had gone in a time machine back to me in 1984 and said, uh, Joe, how's it going to look in the future? How are you going to get to these end results you want? I would be clueless. I couldn't predict the Internet. I couldn't predict the movie The Secret. I couldn't predict you. I couldn't predict any of these things, let alone set it up as a game plan. All I knew was 1984, I came out with a book. What am I going to do now? Well, I didn't sell the book. Maybe I should learn marketing. Well, turning to marketing transformed my life and career. I have used what I learned during that period of disappointment and applied it to all areas of my life. And so it became golden for me. But that was the next action then. So I could tell the story looking backwards and I can connect the dots. But if I was an 84 looking forward, I could not connect any dots because I didn't see any dots. That's great. And what if the to, what if there's many things that could be the next step? How do you decide which one is? You just do your best. You flip a coin if you need to. One of the things I learned to do a long time ago is when I couldn't make a decision, I would go, okay, do I want to do A or do I want to do B? And somehow I wasn't allowing myself the truth. I'd take a coin and go, okay, heads, it's going to be A and tails, it'll be the opposite. I'd throw it up. And then I remember thinking, I really hope it's A. <laughs> 
And so I was able to, <laughs> to reveal my own decisions. Yeah. And I think if that's what we need to do to trick ourselves to go and do something, uh, in some cases, if you got that close of a choice, I would say just do something. Do something because the action will reveal whether you're going to pursue that direction or you need to go back and do this other one. But the action will reveal it. When we sit here and we wonder, we're going to wonder forever because we don't know. There's no way of knowing. The only way we know is by taking action. My book, Unexpected Kindness, that comes out in February, a part of me wonders if it's too self-indulgent. Maybe this book's going to come out and it'll bomb. Maybe people go, well, who cares? These people help Joe Vitale. They're not helping me. And so they might find the book boring. I don't know. But the only way to find out is to actually take the action to release it. So I'll put it in the world. And if the world judges it as you know, boring, well, that was my risk. If they judge it as incredibly inspiring and it lives beyond me as part of my legacy, that's cool too. But I don't know until I take action. I love that. And and putting yourself, like being in the arena, that's something beautiful. And that's what's yes. come from a lot of athletes. And yes. like, it's okay losing because you're not a loser. Right. Uh, and and all of this kindness, it's it's great. Let's talk about risk a little bit. So, mm. how do you deal with risk, and how how can you, like, for people listening now, they might have these, you know, big, beautiful goals, but then then they're like, oh, but now I'm gonna take on financial risk. I'm gonna risk this. I'm gonna risk being ridiculed. I'm gonna risk failure, and like, start lining up where you said going into fear mode again. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I'm thinking about it because I'm thinking to myself, what is risk? Risk is is a sense of worry. Risk is a sense of concern about how things are going to work out. And so it's concern, worry, and projection into the future and what we think might go wrong and how, when it goes wrong, it's going to affect us. So when I look at it, and I'm kind of looking at it for, I don't know if it's the first time, but at least in real time with you right now, and I'm thinking to myself, that is a complete waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if I'm going to sit here and worry about it not coming out, I am fueling it not coming out with my energy. I'm putting out there the worry bug, so to speak. I said earlier that the brain is responding to love, hate, fear. Well, worry is a form of fear. And so if I'm sitting here worried that, oh, I'm risking a whole lot, what if this doesn't work out? No, 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 that's the wrong question. What you want to be asking yourself is, what if it works out? Yeah. What kind of praise will I get? What kind of sales will I get? What kind of confidence will I build? We need to look at the opposite. I'm remembering back... Again, this might have been before I was even published at all. So in the 1980s, and I had a little typewriter, and I had a unfinished $50 desk that I was leaning on and typing on. And I go to that desk thinking, what am I doing? Nobody cares. Nobody's reading. Nobody's buying. There's no publication. I'm starving. I'm in poverty. I mean, it was, what was I telling myself? And then I saw a quote in Writer's Digest magazine, which is what I was reading religiously back then. I don't know if it's still around. I hope it is because it helped me and probably still helps a lot of writers. And there was a quote. And the quote had the first line, what if what I'm about to write is terrible? What if it's never published? What if it is some of my worst work? What if it gives me the bad reputation if it is published? What if it's horrible? And the next question was, 
what if I'm about to write is going to be the turning point of my career? What if it gets published? What if I get paid? What if people want more of my work? What if it, it was a complete different what if. I taped, I cut that out, taped it on my desk. So every time I went to the computer or, or the typewriter, then I reminded myself, here's your choice, Joe. Do you worry about a risk that you're taking? Or do you focus on the potential of a breakthrough? Do you focus on you writing something that is going to never go anywhere and just prove you're a loser? Or are you going to write something that actually awakens you, awakens humanity, awakens a publisher and, is, and sends you down a new road? Yeah. Well, knowing I had that choice, I chose the second. I chose to sit down with at least some belief that this wasn't a risk. This was, this was the right thing for me. This was my inspired action. It wasn't a risk. This was the role to go in the right direction. And thank God I did, or you never would have heard of me and we wouldn't be talking now. That's beautiful. And uh, what else is important now for the people listening and watching for setting the intentions for you know 2023 and so forth? I'll tell you one of the biggest secrets of all time is being a support group, being a mastermind. You have to have people who are encouraging you and you need to encourage them. This is the essence of a mastermind. I love masterminds. Uh, that's what Napoleon Hill taught. And he said it was one of the secrets to success. I wrote a book with Bill Hibbler called Meet and Grow Rich, telling people how to put together a mastermind. But you need to consistently get support and give support to keep yourself guarded and vaccinated against the negativity of most of the world. Because most of the world is, they're the walking dead. They're walking in darkness. God loved them, God healed them, but they're, they're not what you want to be and they're not what you want to be around. You need to be with people you can support and who can support you. They, you need to be with people who can say you can do it, who believe in you, who encourage you. I found that throughout my life, there was always somebody who believed in me more than I believed in myself. We all need that. That makes it easier. Certainly, you can accomplish any of your intentions without that. But I'm talking about if you want to ensure success, do everything you and I have been talking about in this conversation. Do all of it. Set the intentions and start taking action and watch your mind and focus on what you can create. Do everything we've been talking about. But I think you will accelerate your process and you'll make it a smoother process if you are in a group. And so that's a group you can make with Facebook and everything. You don't have to do it live, real time, uh, but you can do it online. You can do it by phone call. You can do Zoom calls. You can do any number of different things. And you don't need to have many people. The rule of thumb is around six. I yeah. think Lynn McTaggart wrote a book called The Power of Eight. And she did a lot of research to show that a, an eight-person circle is, is enough to create miracles, enough to make a dent in the fabric of the universe. So I would say you want to be in that kind of thing that would ensure you because on a daily basis, if you have that bad day, you got somebody else who's going to say it was only today. Tomorrow's going to be better. Just get through today. Go get a good night's sleep tomorrow. Get up and go after it. That helps you. That's priceless. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, 
I have just a couple of more questions and then I'll let you go. Uh, what uh, what should I have asked you today about goals and visualization <laughs> that I might have missed? <laughs> I'm chuckling because that's one of the questions I've been asking people on my own show. <laughs> I get at the end of Zero Limits Living, I say, hey, uh, you knew you were going to be on this thing. What did you want me to ask? Or what were you <laughs> hoping I would ask? Sometimes I'll say, what were you afraid I was going to ask? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And dig into it. Um I, you might ask about brainwashing, because what I learned growing up, and especially when I was homeless and, and in poverty, my brain was wired for negativity, wired for unhappiness, wired for um, the solo fight against the world. And when I say wired, it doesn't mean it was permanently wired, but that was the software that I pretty much had acquired from everything I thought, everything I did, everything I heard, everything I read. And I had to learn that I can brainwash myself, brainwash myself, meaning clean up all of that negativity by replacing it. First of all, becoming aware of it, but second of all, replacing it, replacing it with what? This is the key, replacing it with all the positive literature I could read, all the positive sounds I could put into my ears, all the positive movies I could find and put into my eyes and start to surround myself with the positive people. So I'm picking up their aura and I'm picking up their personality. I'm picking up their energy. We can all do this. I think this would make that 2023 or any year spectacular. If we're doing everything you and I've been talking about, turn our complaints into intentions, make those intentions very vivid, get into the emotional feel of it, gather people around you that can actually support you as you support them, even if it's just pep talks with a phone call now and then, that'll keep you going. But the other big one is read the, the literature, read Psycho-Cybernetics, read Think and Grow Rich, read The Magic of Believing, read How to Win Friends and Influence uh, People. Read my books, Unexpected Kindness, coming out in February. And then I would watch all the stuff that's going to fortify you. My TV show, Zero Limits Living. It's at zerolimitslivingtv.com. And, of course, your show. Watch your show. Listen to your show. Anything that is fueling our brain with the opposite of what the mass media is doing to people on the outside. The same thing with what we're listening to. I became a musician many years ago because I wanted to create self-help positive music. And I, I'm not, you know, Taylor Swift or any of these great singers and so forth. But my effort and my in attempt was to give people a choice, to give them something more positive to listen to. And a couple of my songs, I think, are really, really good, really spectacular in some ways. And that's because I wanted to listen to something. Too much music can have negativity in it. I've told people, if you often wonder why you can't get what you want, you can thank the Rolling Stones because they've been singing that to you since 1967. I can't always get what I want. Well, thank you, Mick Jagger. But you don't have to believe that. You can tune that out or you can at least start to believe the opposite. You can get what you want. Same thing with the movies. Watch movies that fortify you, that entertain you, that encourage you, that have a positive men um, message in them. All of this is in the nature of positive brainwashing. Yeah. And it'll help us achieve our goals for the new year. 
Love that. And uh, what I'm going to do right after this show, I'm going to clear my schedule and I'm going to start, you know, writing things down and create that beautiful plan for the next year and years to come. And I encourage you, if you're listening to this, watching that, clear your schedule, put your phone on do not disturb or in another room and just kind of ask yourself these deep and honest questions that a lot of us are scared to ask but there's something so, so beautiful on the other side of it. So thank you guys for watching this show. And if you enjoyed it, please share it with somebody else because as we spoke about, I want to help a lot of people. I can't do it myself. I need your help. Give us a review, subscribe, and do all of that good stuff. Please check out Dr. Joe Vitale, his new book, his other books. There's so much to dig into and he has dedicated his life to helping others, which we're so grateful for. So thank you so much, Dr. Joel Vitale. And uh, I'm excited that we were able to do this again. I think the next time I'll fly out to you and, and, and we'll do it in person. So I can give you, I said it the last time, a virtual hug, but I want to give you a real hug and thank you for everything you do. So one day, hopefully we can do that and have a cigar together. Ah, there you go. I love it. Well, I love what you're doing, Peter. I'm flattered that you asked me back. You're doing great stuff. So I'm glad to be a part of the message going out to inspire folks.